If you're looking to level up your points redemptions and make the most out of your points and miles, make sure you check out our step-by-step -step video tutorials on the GeoBreeze Travel YouTube channel. And if you're looking to level up your points earning game and get access to points earning techniques that you won't often find online, we're opening up for another cohort of my signature course, The Points Accelerator, very soon. You'll get access to exclusive offers like earning five points per dollar on fee-free Visa and MasterCard gift cards anytime you want without having to leave your couch to drive to Staples. Sign up for the waitlist by going to geobreezetravel.com waitlist and check out what some of our students have to say about the course. Hi everyone, my name is Joyce and I'm a student in the Points Accelerator program. It's been since September of last year since I started the course and I'm so excited that I just booked a trip to Japan for my family partially using points and miles. I decided to book the Japan trip knowing that I had to spend some cash to get the discounts for the trip. If we had booked this trip with cash valued at the cash rate, it would have cost us about $7,900. By using airline miles I previously accrued over the years, combined with purchasing more miles and points, using the bonus miles and points promotions, I spent about $3,300. So I saved about $4,600. I also learned how to product change one card last year, and I plan to do the same this year with another card. I'm really excited to be saving that much money with what I learned in the Points Accelerator course. I literally thought that I was never going to get to travel, like except for maybe going to see my husband's family or doing something that's just kind of utilitarian like that. Right now, I'm in the midst of planning a two-week trip to Europe for my family in the fall. And I constantly, my husband and I look at each other and we're just like, is this real life? Like, do we actually get to do this? Because I never, ever would have imagined that that was something that I would get to do. Like people that have that much student debt, if they're listening to conventional voices out there, we don't even deserve to set foot in restaurants, right? Like much less travel the world. And there's a lot of real negative messages out there about like people that have student debt are just kind of morons and why would they ever take that on? And so you should pay penance for the rest of your life and be punished for that. And I really enjoy proving those people wrong because there's absolutely no reason that I can't have it both ways if I'm being financially responsible. It's been just amazing to me that I get to go and I get to go do these things now. Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Katie Caputo from The Money Misfit. Katie is based in the beautiful eastern Tennessee in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. Her philosophy in travel hacking is the same as in finance. The journey is always personal, and you'll be most successful if you step out of the box. After taking on massive student debt in her 20s, Katie resigned herself to a life without travel, something she thought was a luxury that she would never be able to afford. Thankfully, learning to use points and miles showed her that not only can she travel the world while paying off student debt, but that travel hacking is a powerful financial tool that when used responsibly can skyrocket your financial health. In this episode, Katie and I discuss putting real money before the lovely fake money that is points and miles and not letting the joys of getting to travel for next to no cost put the cart before the horse when it comes to your finances. We also discuss a lot of the different mental gymnastics that points people often put themselves through to justify money moves that might not always be in their best interest. If you're just getting started with points and miles, this is especially important to keep in mind. Additionally, if you're new to the game, one of the most popular cards for beginners is the Chase Sapphire Preferred, which lets you convert points from many cashback-only cards like the Chase Freedom Flex or Chase Freedom Unlimited cards into travel points, which makes them go a lot further. Remember, if you decide to apply for the Chase Sapphire Preferred or any other card, never apply directly through Google. Always use a friend or creator's referral links. And if you're interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out geobreezetravel.com cards. If you're not sure what card is right for you, I offer free credit card consultations at geobreezetravel.com consultations. 
We have links to the Chase Sapphire Preferred and the free consultation form for you in the show notes as well. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. Hey, Katie, welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm excited to talk with you today about the concept of people should focus on real money versus fake money. That is points and miles. I know that when people follow our pages and a lot of other pages, math gets really weird really fast where people are like, oh, well, maybe I should spend thousands of dollars to chase status if I'm not really in a position to do that because I'm going to get so many benefits and then I'm going to look really cool on the internet. And, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. So we're going to talk about that today. Awesome. Before we talk about all of that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how did you get into the game of points and miles? So my background is that, well, I live in East Tennessee and I have two kids. I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I have had careers in the past. So I feel like I've had many uh, professional lifetimes. I got into points and miles when I was in medical school 14 years ago. My husband and I were newly married we were super broke. I was in Oregon with him. My family was in Tennessee and we needed to be able to travel, but really didn't have the money to do so. And so we kind of really didn't know what we were doing. We decided to grab a Capital One Miles card before venture cards even existed and just thought, hey, we can put some of our money on here and we'll get some points for flights. We really didn't know what we were doing. And we did that like a lot of people for a good decade before we knew anything else about how to use points and miles. Before we learned about transferring and having multiple cards, we just you know put everything on there. And to be really honest, during that time, we made a lot of financial mistakes. And so we didn't do it perfectly. During that time, I was certainly not the poster child for amazing ways to travel hack because I was racking up a massive amount of student debt. We weren't always great with paying our cards because we were kind of struggling in a lot of ways. And so we got to a point where we kind of had to reconcile some of that and and fix our finances so we could actually move into points and miles as something that could really benefit us rather than something that during that time, we almost kind of kept secret from most people in our lives because we ran in a lot of circles where credit cards are bad and you should never, ever touch them. And you're if you do, you're stupid. So we kind of kept it hidden and it was something that benefited us in small ways, but it really took a lot of reckoning to get to the point where we could fix our finances to where we are now that we can really, really take advantage of the savings that travel hacking allows us to meet our other financial goals. So we've been in the game for a, a long time, but have only been like, you know, professional level for the past couple of years. Tell us a little bit about what it was like juggling the student loans. And you said there was credit card debt in there too, as you were doing credit cards, like Tell us about how you were juggling all of this. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, for a while we weren't, and it took a lot of hard lessons that way to realize kind of the hole that we were in. About, I would say about eight years ago, I really kind of had to sit down with myself and said, okay, I'm carrying around this massive student debt, and I really want to get our finances to a place where we're really looking forward to our future and taking care of ourselves and being able to do the things we want to do. Um, and so we just really used being able to use points and miles more effectively as our motivation for tackling any kind of credit card debt and getting that out ASAP. Like I knew enough about finances to know that that was the thing that had to go. 
And so every single paycheck, every single bit of extra money, every tax refund, everything went towards getting rid of credit card debt. And it was pretty modest. I mean, I don't know, we're talking less than $10,000. And so it did go pretty quickly. And then I remember the day that we paid off any last credit card debt. And I immediately started hyper maintaining my finances to know exactly what I'm putting on a credit card every month to know that it was going to be paid off in full. And then we started racking up miles a lot faster after that. The $10,000 was just credit card debt. That wasn't in addition to the medical school debt? Yeah, the $10,000 was just consumer credit card debt. The medical school debt, like most people that go to medical school, was was massive. And, you know, and it was a source of shame for me for a long time of just this huge number. But medical school debt can easily get into the multiple hundreds of thousands. And so that's still something that we're working on now. That's not the kind of debt that goes away quickly, no matter what, unless you're just extremely wealthy. So that's something that we still tackle now, even though we got rid of all of our consumer debt and have maintained that for a long time now to pay that off while we're still getting to enjoy travel and live our lives and not just hide in a hole somewhere because we kind of made this financial mistake a long time ago. Can you talk about the decision where you went to medical school and training to be a medical professional and now you are not working in the medical field? Can you talk about that kind of decision where you're like, oh, should I just do this because I spent so much of my life on it or I don't really want to do this anymore and I feel like it's right to pivot somewhere else? Can you talk about that decision process? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are like, I have spent so much money and so much of my life chasing this thing where maybe they should keep chasing it or maybe they should say, I, I really want to do something else. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that I had to come to terms with over the course of many years. Learning about the sunk cost fallacy radically changed my life of this idea that I have put so much money into this and I hate it. And I should keep going one because like I have to get my money's worth. But really what it came down to is I was embarrassed to quit. And maybe other people are feeling that same way, that it's like I've devoted so many of my years and so many of my dollars into this path that I chose for myself. And now I hate it and I want to change. But changing or staying with it really more accurately isn't going to make that money come back to you. Like that's just not the way that it works. And so sticking with a mistake that you made or a path that you went down that really wasn't the right thing for you isn't going to change your financial life really. I think that being in a position to do something that I love to do and have the opportunity to grow that, even though it has nothing to do with medicine whatsoever, will come back to me in ways to pay off those loans more than staying in the medical field ever would. Because I didn't go to conventional medical school. I, I went to naturopathic medical school in Oregon. And so while I was licensed as a primary care physician during that time, it doesn't have the earning potential of a conventional MD doctor who is working in a hospital and all of that stuff. To make money, I had to be a business owner and I was woefully unprepared to do that. And it kind of crushed me of just this idea of like, I'm actually really good at the medical part of it, but running a business is miserable to me as a person who was probably at the time 27, 28 years old. And learning those lessons of like, hey, it's okay to walk away from this. And now having another opportunity to come into the world as a business owner and to grow that is so much more exciting to me than medicine ever would have been. Like it was crushing me, this pressure to pay off these loans and to prove everybody that I could do it. And I has had to get rid of that pressure of say, well, this is my life. This is my one life. And I have children that I'm an example for, and I want to teach them that it's okay if you made mistakes, you went down paths for whatever reason, external pressure, internal pressure, you're, you don't have to stay in that. Like you can have a life in different ways. There are other ways to make money. And so that was just kind of my own personal 
growth curve, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. And congrats. That is a hard decision to make. And one that I know a lot of people out there are still like, what do I do if I'm like in this fork in the road? Did you guys have to prepare some kind of like mathematical spreadsheet for yourselves to feel comfortable with this decision? Or how did you and your spouse kind of say, okay, we're okay with this. We can make it work. Yeah. So we kind of did, although I was in the process, I was pregnant with my first child when we kind of decided this is a really good opportunity for me to pivot and just kind of be a stay-at-home mom for that time. And so my husband actually ended up, he was working in retail at the time because our plan had always been for me to kind of be the, the breadwinner or whatever. And uh, for him to possibly be a stay-at-home parent. And I said, hey, I, I hate this. Like, I don't, I don't want to be working right now because I hate the career that I'm in. So he went back to school. Like he just straight up went back to school and he works as a nurse now and has for the past six or seven years. And so he took over all the financial obligations for our family during that time while I had the freedom to be with the kids and also just kind of take some time to figure out what I wanted to do. So I definitely think that I was fortunate and privileged to have a spouse that was able to do that pretty easily. And I haven't had to financially support us for a long time, which is nice. That makes the story even crazier where he's like, okay, I work in retail, I'll go back to school. You're pregnant with your first kid. Oh my God, the layers to this story are crazy. Yeah, and it wasn't because it's funny, people ask him all the time, like, oh, do you have you just always wanted to be a nurse? And he kind of laughs. He's like, no, it was just, it was a good job that was going to give us stability. I mean, COVID kind of messed a lot of that up and it became a job that we necessarily didn't sign up for, but it was cool. It was, you know, props to him for, for taking one for the team with that one. That is a crazy story. Okay. <laughs> so let's get into the even crazier parts of the story. So points and miles, you've paid off the $10,000 of debt. Did you have to like cut up any credit cards in that time before starting over? Or did you just kind of hang on to them and then add on later? We only had one at that time. Like we, I don't know, when we got approved for that card, they gave us a ridiculous amount of credit limit that we didn't deserve at all. So we only had one credit card that whole time and all of the debt was on there. Never cut it up. I still have it in my wallet to this day. Like it's just been, it was our card for such a long time. So I didn't have to do anything drastic. I just, I was extremely motivated. Like it was just, there was no other option for me than to stop using it immediately. Obviously we just, we stopped using it and we paid it off as fast as possible. And it took probably a year or so, but we never went back. It was one of those things that was like, no, this feels like a pit in my stomach to have this. I know that this isn't going to serve us. And so it was pure willpower <laughs> for both of us. Once you had it paid off, were you like, we're going to pay this off so that we can get into it again? Or were you like, we're going to pay it off so that we can get rid of it? And then you slowly got into it again. We wanted to get into it even more. And that was our motivation. It's funny, even though I was surrounded with people who were very anti credit cards, I never actually found myself in that position. I knew full well that the mess we had gotten to into credit cards was not because credit cards are evil, but because I had just we had spent above our means, we were kind of in a, a place where we weren't being responsible. And so our pure motivation for getting out of debt, not only was just for our financial future in general, but I wanted to be able to get to that point where we're doing the thing where we're putting every single expense on this card. We're getting as many miles as possible so that we can use them for travel. So being a better travel hacker or getting into that really at all was absolutely my motivation. It was a very helpful motivator because <laughs> I really wanted to be able to go places. Once you got to that point, what were some of the cards that you started getting with like the rebirth of your travel hacking journey? Yeah, well, we stayed with the Capital One for a long time. And we were those people who just, you know, got two miles on every two, two miles on every dollar spent for a long time. And then I started learning about chase cards the way that I think most people start out learning about 
flexible points and points that you can transfer. And at that time, Chase, you know, had good transfer partners and it was easy and straightforward. And so we kind of started with the same ones that everybody does, you know, Sapphire Preferreds and then get some hotel cards in our pockets and, and do all that stuff. We still are at a place in our life just with my husband's job. He works so much and doesn't have a whole lot of PTO. Like we're not super aspirational travelers that we're going somewhere new every month. It's just not real life for us. So we try to plan two trips a year. We don't have to rack up enormous amount of points to be able to do that. We have two kids now, so it's a family of four, um, but we're pretty comfortable with the amount that we're able to earn through occasional card signups and, and signup bonuses and things like that to get where we need to go. So we're not super, super excessive about opening new cards. We try to stay pretty conservative, I think, because we've been in a poor financial position before where we've had poor credit. I don't like trying to push the envelope too hard and just constantly be signing up for new cards. But we have our goals and we meet them. That is an awesome message because I know that so many people follow so many people on Instagram and they're like, everybody's always going on these like luxury first class trips to the Maldives and they're staying in like luxury hotels and everything. And that's just not the reality for most people. And most people don't need to become content creators and do all of these different things. So if you said you guys only take only take two trips a year on points, which I think is aspirational for a lot of people. Like if you imagine a lot of your neighbors who are anti-credit cards thinking about, oh, getting two trips a year for free, that's just out of the realm of imaginary possibility for a lot of people. And I think we forget that because we're in our points and miles bubble. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And every once in a while, I find myself being kind of envious of somebody else's travel and being like, man, I wish that I could travel that much. How do they even do that? And then I usually, you know, find out it's because they're participating in tons of buying groups and things like that. And it's not really the kind of stuff I want to get into. I look back on myself even five years ago, and I literally thought that I was never going to get to travel, like except for maybe going to see my husband's family or doing something that's just kind of utilitarian like that. Right now I'm in the midst of planning a two week trip to Europe for my family in the fall. And I constantly, my husband and I look at each other and we're just like, is this real life? Like, do we actually get to do this? Because I never ever would have imagined that that was something that I would get to do. Like people that have that much student debt, if they're listening to conventional voices out there, we don't even deserve to set foot in restaurants, right? Like much less travel the world. And there's a lot of real negative messages out there about like people that have student debt are just kind of morons and why would they ever take that on? And so you should pay penance for the rest of your life and be punished for that. And I really enjoy proving those people wrong because there's absolutely no reason that I can't have it both ways if I'm being financially responsible. It's been just amazing to me that I get to go and I get to go do these things now. Talk to us a little bit about a redemption that you've done or a redemption that you are planning to do and how you kind of figure out, okay, here's how many points we need, here's the cards to get, and how you're meeting the points with the sign-up bonus and the scheduling of all of these things. Talk to us about your process. For one easy thing that I actually like just solidified yesterday, it's fresh in my mind. So I definitely approach hotels and flights really differently. You know, they have such different pricing structures and things like that. So we were just booking our hotels for, we're gonna spend four nights in London in the fall. And I had the idea of like, okay, we're probably gonna stay at like a Holiday Inn, right? We're pretty utilitarian people. We don't really care about luxury that much. So I knew we're going to London, Holiday Inn is probably gonna be the place for us. And so that made me think, hey, let's open up some IHG cards and to be able to get those points. And so we looked at, around at the ideas of about how many points it costs to stay 
for nights at ISG properties at Holiday Inn Properties throughout London, figured out, okay, it's probably going to be 40 to 50,000 points. If we both open up cards, because we're going to need two rooms, right? Because we're four people, open up those cards, meet the spends in a couple of months because they're pretty small and boom, we had those points and we were able to use those. And the cool thing I love about those properties is that you get, you know, your fourth night free if you're staying on points. So we only had to get enough points to stay three nights and we automatically got four. And so two cards, you know, about $200 total in annual fees, and we got $2,000 worth of hotel properties like that. So really, it's just kind of the classic reverse engineering that most people do of find some tentative properties that maybe you would like to stay, find a short list of places, find the amount of points that it's approximately going to cost, and just match that up with some cards that are going to give that to you. And then I think the trickiest part is to just have patience. Like, I absolutely refused to look again at the hotels and their availabilities and their points during the time where we were earning the sign up bonus and before the bonus hit because I knew that it was going to stress me out if I saw oh crap the points are going higher we're not going to be able to afford this and one big thing that I have for myself and that I preach to other people is the idea of travel hacking FOMO is so toxic to people like nothing will press your spirit faster than thinking that you're missing out on this thing that you're supposed to get. And so I had to coach myself emotionally the whole time of like, you know what, there's a million holiday inns in the London area. If I miss out on one because it went too fast and the prices went up, you know, there's going to be like 10 more that I could go to. So that's a personal rule I have for myself is like, you don't get FOMO as much if you just stop looking constantly. Like I don't look at stuff until I have the points. So that was one way that I just kind of worked a pretty simple redemption that still saved a ton of money, but also kept my sanity intact. So I wasn't like constantly searching every day. That's a really important point about like not looking constantly because people are like, well, if I'm not always searching, I'm going to miss out on some deal or some promo or something. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I muted like 90% of people who I follow on the internet. Like Instagram says that I follow a thousand accounts. I probably only see stuff from a hundred of them because honestly, guys, if you're one of those people where all of your stories are just like links to use my cards, like use my links, get this card, you've probably been muted and I'm not seeing your stuff because most of it's going to be like to sell cards anyway, instead of actual promos. And I have different ways of finding out those promos from certain accounts that I follow that actually talk about those different blogs all of the different sources on YouTube as well. So there's lots of ways to find out different promos. That's why I don't post about links in my stories anymore. If I'm posting something to stories, it's probably a promo or to link you to a YouTube tutorial. So yeah, I used to have FOMO too. And I'm just like, oh, not only about like promos for cards, but also from a creator side, it gets really toxic too. Or if somebody's like, oh, look how many like courses I sold or something that gets super toxic, super fast. Don't don't pay attention to any of that. Anybody who's an Inspire creator, mute all of that. That is not going to serve you. So yeah, I love that message about not getting FOMO. Yeah, and I think anything that creates like FOMO or just competition, like between people, like there's one thing to have healthy competition, like businesses, absolutely competition. That's kind of part of what you're signing up for. And I think that that can be really healthy, but anything that internally and on an emotional level is causing you to feel like they're doing it better than me, or they're having more than me, or they're doing things that I want to do and I can't do them. It's totally okay to mute those people. I don't follow a ton of people on Instagram, so I don't think I've muted a bunch of people on Instagram, but one kind of controversial thing that I do is I unsubscribe to almost every single email from airlines and hotels when they give me the option because 
when Hyatt sends me 10 emails a day or American Airlines sends me 10 emails a day saying like, don't miss out on this. Don't you want to go here? It causes me to want to like crawl up into a ball in the corner because I'm constantly trying to analyze things in my head. Too many decisions are having to be made or I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should do that because this email is telling me that I should. And so I often tell people like, it's totally fine. Like you may, maybe you're going to miss out on something. I don't know. But more than likely what you're going to miss out on is just like crushing, crushing FOMO and overstimulation. So just unsubscribe. It's totally fine. <laughs> and if you're like, I can't bring myself to unsubscribe, I have Gmail filters set up where it'll automatically file it into a folder. So all those flight deal emails that I get from Thrifty Traveler and all of those, they get automatically filed into a folder. And so I just have to tell myself like, oh, I'm in the mood to like look through all the flight deals, mostly if I need content or anything else like that, because I can only like book so many things in a year. But yeah, you can also apply Gmail filters to have things automatically go into folders for you so that you don't see them. Definitely turn off notifications for these types of things. You don't need them on your phone. And this will save you so much money too, even not just with travel hacking, but like fitness, clothes, fashion, beauty, everything on the internet, like that just gives you FOMO of like, well, I exercise for 30 days. Why don't I have abs? There's a multitude of reasons why you probably don't have abs after <laughs> exercising for 30 days. And it's the same way with travel hacking and business and everything else. So I think that's a really good message too, is like, you never really know what's going on in somebody else's life of like, oh, they have somebody else bankrolling, like all of their stuff, like something, something could be going on. So Love the mm -hmm. message. Don't get FOMO. Yep. Speaking of scheduling and everything else, your husband's schedule and you trying to plan these trips on points when we always say, oh, the best trick is just to be super flexible with when you can be available and like book stuff at the last minute or super far ahead. Nurses don't always have that schedule. Tell us about how you coordinate that with your planning process too. Yeah, that is a huge tricky spot for me. And to make matters worse, he has like two, a two week period in January of every year where everybody gets to request all their time off for the upcoming year. So he can kind of request stuff last minute. But for the most part, if you want to get like more than a week off or something, you have like this two week period where you have to do it and your approval is based completely on seniority. And so it's kind of this chaos circus that happens in January of everybody trying to get time off. He got really lucky this year that he got time off for everything that he requested, but there have been years where he was not lucky at all and it was just no across the board and he couldn't even get like, you know, his birthday off and stuff like that. Another tricky thing that he has to deal with is since COVID, everybody at all the nurses at his hospital have to work mandatory overtime. And so he's working much more than full time now. And so we are really limited on days off. So for us, we cannot take advantage of last minute deals. That's not typically a thing we can do and we have to plan far in advance. And the cool thing about, especially with hotels, flights sometimes get a little bit more complicated, but with hotels, I can book stuff far in advance that I think I want. And then I know that if it doesn't work out and we kind of get screwed over and he doesn't get that vacation time that I can cancel and I'm not losing money. You know, you mentioned at the beginning talking about kind of real money versus this fake kind of points money. It's one of those times where it actually gives me a lot of comfort that it is kind of fake points money because I know that I'm not going to lose out on anything that's super meaningful to me. So for us, yes, I have to turn out that noise that says, take advantage of last minute deals. Let the deals guide you. It's like, nah, I, I have to let PTO guide me for now. It's definitely part of our mission to get him out of that kind of full-time work to where he could be working, you know, PRN and gets to choose his own schedule. That's the dream. 
we'll get there. What do you value when you are booking these trips? So you said PTO is one of those. Do you value like perks or status or any of that? I don't. I'm just not a fancy enough person to value that. I think that if it were just me and him and we didn't have kids, I'd probably be all about that. But when it comes to a family of four, like there's only so much that we can do. And I think it limits our travels in some ways, not because we don't want to travel with kids, but it just takes that many more points, you know, to bring twice as many people along. And so if we're only taking big trips twice a year, I don't see that much purpose and chasing status. Like I go for the easy status, you know, like my IHG card. Now I've got platinum status with IHG, which I don't know how meaningful that is. It feels like everybody has platinum status. I know there's tons of excitement about like new deals lately with Hyatt and getting globalist. And that's the one you hear about so much. Someday, I guess that would be really cool to have that because I would love my free breakfast and free bottled water and stuff like that. But for now, our mindset is we just want to travel as much as we can and I could care less about making it fancy, which makes me a little bit of a misfit in the travel hacking community sometimes. Yeah, it'd be so cool to travel business class somewhere. Like I admire that. I don't discourage anybody from doing that. That's totally aspirational to me, but I'm a hundred percent at peace with the fact that like we're gonna fly economy to London and I, I'm not trying to splurge on a bunch of points or do anything irrational to, to make that different. And it's just okay because we get to go and that's all that really matters. Also a very important message because the stuff that floats to the top of the algorithm is the really shiny business class, really nice first class, luxury hotels, but it is always important to note. And that's why I put these episodes in here too of why not every episode is like how to save a gazillion dollars to go to, I was gonna say Mars, but that's not a thing yet with points, <laughs> Maldives, Japan, all of those different things. That's why it's good to always have a lot of different viewpoints about how people approach the world of points and miles. Because if you only follow like the five accounts that are always posting about aspirational stuff, you do start to just feel like, oh, this is, this is the normal way to do it. And it's absolutely not. I just want everybody to always remember anybody who's into this world of points and miles, we are the weirdos. This is not the normal way to do anything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it, people still probably, I think their their eyes glaze over when I tell them about this in real life of like, you do what to do what? It just doesn't seem real. And so, yeah, I would encourage anybody if they have any moments of feeling like you're not doing it good enough because somebody else is, is having fancier trips. Like just think for a second about what an amazing privilege it is to be able to travel at all. Like how many people in the world have no access to that and you get to do that. And it doesn't matter how you get there because you're gonna get there and your mindset is going to be what makes the difference between you feeling like, woe is me, I'm not doing this fancy enough and looking around at the world and realizing how amazing of a gift it is that you just get to go. So it really just doesn't matter what your accommodations are. Like you have a bed to sleep in, that's amazing. You get to go visit another country. I didn't have a passport until I was 30 years old. And the fact that I get to give that gift to my kids of going internationally when they are, you know, single digits blows my mind. So that's what I try to focus on. Yeah, I think that's also important to note that like, what, less than a third of people in the US have an active passport right now. Yeah, and I was definitely one of those people. So it's amazing. And we got to just focus on that stuff, I think, rather than trying to one up each other, which is what happens a lot. Oh, that's the internet for you. <laughs> what are some of your other financial goals that you're working on right now? Is it more debt payoff, wealth building, anything else? 
Well, the student loan payment pause has been really helpful for me. I will definitely admit to that. My biggest goals right now is that my husband and I really didn't have any financial literacy until we were well into our 30s and we're pretty darn clueless about our need to save for retirement. And so we came to that party really, really late. And so that is our biggest goal right now is just realizing that we don't want to work until we're 85. So we need to start doing this. And because we started later, we need to be able to pump more money into saving for our future. And so that actually right now, building our wealth for the future is actually more important to me than the school debt payoff, which is kind of a controversial stance, I guess. I know a lot of people would say that busting debt is the most important thing you can do. But when you have really, really low interest debt like that, I care a lot more about trying to build our future than throwing all of our money at debt payoff that's just kind of sitting there. That's our main goal right now is to, you know, maxing out those Roth IRAs and investing in all of those things. It's really new to us. So I'm proud of us that we've come as far as we have. And I'm thankful to Travel Hacking that allows us to still travel while meeting those goals because we could be spending $5,000 a year on travel, but instead we get to spend a thousand and go, you know, all of that money goes into our investments. And that's kind of the wealth building hack, I guess, of travel hacking, which I think is really, really cool and something that people don't necessarily talk about or think about with that. Yeah. I'm proud of you too. And I think that's important to distinguish that for travel hacking is it can save you on a lot of the things that you were going to do already, maybe get you some upgraded rooms for the same price that you had already budgeted in for vacations. But I do get worried when people spend like all of their energy trying to figure out how to chase globalist status. And I'm like, oh, you don't have a retirement fund. You should just thought of like the Harry Potter movie where he's like, she really needs to rethink her priorities. That's just what I thought of right there where I'm like, oh, this is this is fun. This is a hobby and it, it should be fun. It should be a hobby. It should not cause stress or anxiety and FOMO because you didn't get KLM award availability for your trip next year. Like all of this, all of points and miles should be a fun accessory to like escape day-to-day -day life. This is the fun side of money. But there are also like foundations to have in place I don't think I've done an episode yet about my financial journey, but we were set before I ever like opened an Instagram account. And I think a large part of that was that I had no idea what Instagram was. And it was just like so focused on, okay, here's like our day-to-day -day W2 jobs. And then we lived off of mine and we invested my husband's. And if you, he's a software engineer. So if you just invest the entirety of a software engineer salary for multiple years, you'll be good. We'll just, you'll be set. And all of that was done before we got into this. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that before they get into points and miles. Clearly, a lot of people listen to this podcast where they're like, I'm in it, Julia. I'm already in it and I'm not getting out to like go make a million dollars before I come back in. That's not what I'm saying you need to do. I'm just saying there's like a lot of distractions. And if you're putting all of your energy into chasing globalist status rather than anything else, regarding saving, investing, wealth building, retirement funds, making sure your taxes are paid, you know, just like normal things like that. Reallocate your time a little bit. Like obviously still make time for this wonderful fun hobby that we all love, but also make time for the other parts of money that might not be as fun but very necessary, especially in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. I think Travel hacking is like the frosting, but you better pay attention to the cake or else you're just going to be like really, really hungry later. It's just kind of one of those things that travel hacking, if it's not adding to 
the excitement of your life or to the enjoyment of your life, then you may be doing it wrong. So if you're spending all of your time like trying to chase status and certainly having status isn't a bad thing, but if if you're making actually like poor financial decisions, you know, I see so many people being like, how much money can I throw at mattress friends in order to get high at globalist during this promo or whatever? And it's like, do you have the money to do that? And is that actually making any sense? Do you want to encourage people always like, just do some math, just run some numbers and see if it makes sense because nothing will make you make bad choices like social media and seeing what everybody else is doing. And so like you got to, Personal finance is personal, but travel hacking should also be just as personal because it is an extension of personal finance. It just is. You're dealing with money. And so you better make your journey personal, not just like the places you want to go, but don't ever make bad financial choices just to get some extra points to take a trip to impress strangers on the internet. Like you just can't do that. It's your life. And that may feel good in the moment, but if you're responsible with it, there really is a way for you to do both. Like but you may not be able to go to the Maldives for two more years, you know, and it's fine. Just take your time, be patient, and you can meet your goals um, with your money and with your travel. Is you just pay attention to what you're doing and stop worrying about impressing other people. Like no, no way that I travel is impressive to people. I'm sure of it, which is funny because I have an Instagram account where I'm teaching people how to do that. And I always tell people, I am an educator. I am not an influencer. Like there is nothing about what I do with my family that is like, super dreamy and looks really fancy. Like, I mean, we're staying at a Holiday Inn in London for goodness sake, like nobody's impressed by that. But a lot I of love... people are impressed by that. <laughs> That's funny, I mean, I, I don't know. They might be like bummed that we're not staying at a Park Hyatt or something like that. But it's it's all about educating people on what to do. And I just could care less about impressing anybody. I think it's impressive enough on its own and seeing people learn how to become masters of their own money when they thought that they never were gonna be able to is impressive enough. And that's the stuff, that's the meat that really matters. Yeah, you mentioned like, don't do this just to impress other people on the internet and to run math. And then that's where people start making up really weird math of, oh, but if I impress people on the internet, they'll buy my course and use my links. And then I will make a gazillion dollars by being boss lady. And that is not how math works. If you want to do like good business math and like get a lot of people to, use your link, sign up for your course, do whatever. You don't have to be impressive on the internet to do that. There is a ton of other people with awesome hair and makeup and clothes on a really, really nice looking plane. And I don't try to compete with those people. The way that I do content, like on YouTube right now, if you watch my YouTube channel, it's just screenshots of me going on a screen recording me like, here's how you find a word availability. And I am already going on these trips and my camera work isn't good enough for me to feel comfortable putting it on YouTube. So it's just tutorials of here's how you find last minute business class flights in Avianca. Here's how you structure an itinerary with United to get a free flight on United Excursionist. Here's where you should transfer your points, like go to Virgin Atlantic to save flights on Delta or go to British Airways to save points on American Airlines. Go to Air Canada or Singapore Airlines to get the same flight on United for cheaper. And people love that content. We are all so inundated with shiny hair and shiny clothes and shiny planes and like really good looking food. And yeah, it's nice to kind of look through Instagram like a magazine, but for anybody who's trying to build up their business and thinking that you have to do those aspirational trips in order to get an audience to pay attention to you, you don't because it's, I don't wanna say saturated, but there's already so much of that content. So if instead you just figure out what people don't have and what they would like to have instead, I bet somebody out there could build an entire points and miles business just by making some free or cheap downloadables with Excel spreadsheets. 
like that's not a thing that's out there yet. If somebody could go out there and just collect data on different things and have a really jankety looking database that works of, hey, here's data points for different things. Like you could scrape the internet for that information. You don't even have to step on a plane and people will come because that would be so valuable to people. So if anybody out there is trying to do weird math to try to justify these things saying like, oh, it's a business expense and like I can do all that, still know that it's a luxury at that point. It's not what I would recommend for how I would run my business. Obviously, like if it's working for you, go for that. But just like my two cents, it's not gonna be the thing that makes or breaks your business is like going on six of these trips a year versus two. You can make it work either way. Get some great photos and just offer content of what people can't find elsewhere on the internet. And I promise you people can find lots of photos and videos of other people on business class. That's what's causing their FOMO. So that's not really something that would set anybody else apart. Oh, totally. I'm a big like personality type nerd. So I'm always into that. And I find that it's really interesting because I think I swear like there's there's so much information out on the Internet and you can find any kind of style that you're looking for out on the Internet. And I do like that there's kind of something for everyone, you know, like with Myers-Briggs stuff, like there's something for all the ENFPs out there that like want the bright, shiny, fun stuff. And then there's people like myself that really just kind of want nitty gritty education that's maybe not that fancy, but foundationally speaking, like it's sound. And I do kind of love that the variety and the diversity we see is to just whatever you're into, like you're going to be able to find the style that speaks to you. And for me, I just at 40 years old now, there's no part of me that's willing to be something else than what I actually am. That's kind of the best thing about going growing a little bit older is that I'm just unapologetically me. So if you don't find me fancy enough or you don't find me aspirational enough, that's fine. But I bet that I could teach you how to do something really, really well. And so that's just always been my mindset with this. And I admire people who are just unapologetically themselves. Like you don't have to impress anybody. Just be really good at what you do. Don't overextend yourself to try to be some image of what you think an influencer is supposed to be on Instagram because there's plenty of people out there that that's genuinely who they are. And I think that's kind of awesome, but then it's, it's fine to be different. I mean, that's my whole Instagram handle, the money misfit. I, the misfit should be in like really big letters because that just kind of sums me up. Like I, I tend to do things a little bit differently. I don't necessarily fit a really great mold. And then that may not be for everybody, but I am good at what I do. And I think that there's a place for me kind of in that non influency kind of place in Instagram, that little corner over there where people just are a little bit different and that's okay. Throwback to my cringy moments of when I thought I had to be in bikini photos on Instagram. I'm sure they're still <laughs> back there. Pre-pandemic me, now I'm a talking head. There are no bikini photos of me, but yeah, that happened once upon a time if anybody wants to laugh at that. Please don't comment under it, brave or anything like that. Please don't. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't get on Instagram when I would have probably felt pressure to do the same. I waited until I was just at the, I don't give a crap age. <laughs> now I just do whatever I want to. Yeah, the world changed a lot in three years. It, it really did. It really did. Oh, so did my eating habits. But <laughs> anyway, as we wrap up here, you've dropped so many great gems about how to think about the world of points and miles. Can you wrap up your favorite travel hacking tip into like one quote that would fit on an Instagram quote card that you'd like to share with listeners today. Sure. Um, my favorite Instagram and travel hack or just any kind of travel hacking tip would just be that you don't have to know everything in order to start. It can be so overwhelming to people when they first start, when they're inundated with all these messages of all these advanced techniques 
that they're like, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I feel like I'm going to make mistakes and I'm afraid to do anything. And so many people hoard their points for so long. Like I've talked to, with people over direct messages that have like hundreds of thousands of points that have been sitting around for years and they're afraid to do anything with it. It's like, just start, pick one trip, pick one part of your trip. Just say, I want to get hotels for this place and just do that and tune out everything else that you think you need to do and just do one moving part at a time that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to start and reach out, know your resources. Don't be afraid to press the easy button on stuff and you're going to be fine. Like there's no mistake you're going to make that's so great that it's going to ruin your life with travel hacking. Like that's just not the way it works. You really are kind of dealing with fake money. So you're going to be fine. Stop being afraid and just pick one thing and start and reach out for help if you need it. Yeah, the only way that you mess up like the fake money is if you don't follow rule number one, which is to make sure that you can pay off your credit card bills in full every time. That's really the only way. But otherwise, like, there's not really, or okay, if you redeem your points for like magazines or Roomba <laughs> or something like that. But even then, we've had a lot of people on the show because I ask everybody like, what's the biggest mistake you make? The number of people, and we don't even air all of them because I'm just tired of hearing people being like, I redeemed them for magazines. It's a lot more common than you think, guys. Like, And the caliber of people that we have on the show, they're like some of the top people on Instagram and the internet on points about the number of these people who have been like, oh yeah, I, I did the magazine thing. Yeah, I did that. You'd be surprised. So <laughs> start somewhere, earn some points, redeem them for a free hotel or free flight. Even if it's one and a half cents per point on Southwest or something like that, you are doing so much better than most people. You'd be surprised. Absolutely. If you're redeeming something and it helps you get like a 90% discount on travel, you were going to take anyway, like you're winning, like just full stop. You're totally winning. Don't overthink it. And I mean, that's, we could go off on a whole entire tangent about how much I hate cents per points and valuing it and evaluating it because I think it just ruins people's fun all the time. If they're like, oh, it's not good enough. It's good enough. Like you're fine. Like you're taking a trip and you're not paying money for it. That's amazing. Like you're totally nailing it. If you're getting more than two cents per point, with almost any flexible currency, you're good. Yeah, you're totally killing it. Yep. <laughs> cool. So great advice. Speaking of great advice, can you give shout outs to other accounts on the internet that you love following for points and miles content? Yes, absolutely. Two people I want to shout out. One is Abby from Wayfair & Co. She has like three kids and they travel all the time. And if you are a parent, I highly recommend that you follow her because I think that she has the most lovely mindset when it comes to traveling with kids, because traveling with kids can be chaos and it can make you say a million times, wow, this would be so much more fun if our kids weren't here. But if you want to travel as a family, she has this really beautiful way of looking at traveling with kids as enhancing your experience and working with them and the beauty of giving that to them as a gift. And so totally follow her, especially if you have kids. And then Mariah from Points for the Memories, she is an expert on travel hacking in national parks and around national parks, which I live 30 minutes away from the most visited national park in the country. And I'm still not an expert in any way about travel hacking national parks. It's some of the most beautiful places you can visit in our country. If you don't want to go internationally, it's not so easy to always find good hotel redemptions and stuff because there's not stuff around. So if you're at all interested in that, that would be an amazing person to follow. She's super down to earth and just incredibly knowledgeable about that. Perfect. And where can we find you on the internet? Right now, you can just find me on Instagram at the Money Misfit. 
And soon I'll be having my website kind of up. I'm in the process of building out a little mini course right now on using airline alliances to be able to kind of maximize your points booking. And so that stuff will be coming out pretty soon. But right now, all the information you need is on Instagram. So find me there. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Katie, so much for joining us on the show today. We learned so much. And I think also just a lot of really good reminders where people are like, I already knew that, but thanks for the reminder because people forget all the time, all of these different things. I'm an expert at that, stating the obvious, but in a way that maybe you need a reminder of. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. If any of the cards mentioned in today's episode piqued your interest, please check out the links in the show notes for more information on any of the cards. Also, if you apply for a card using the links on that page, I may receive a commission too, so please and thank you. P.S. I hear the links work better in Internet Explorer or Safari, and sometimes the credit card applications tend to glitch out in Chrome. Additionally, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And if you would like to make even more travel hacking friends, please sign up for the Patreon to access our monthly masterclass hangouts. We dive deep into a particular points program each month, and you'll get to ask all of your travel hacking questions and enjoy being around other people who enjoy points and miles just as much as you and I do. If you would like an invite to the next one, head over to geobreezetravel.com hangouts to sign up to be on the invite list. Take care and happy travels!